those notes, for all those calls, for all those texts and emails. We know that you're out there. Thank you for letting us know. When God speaks to your heart, thank you for letting us know. We give Him all the praise and the honor and the glory. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving. Folks have mailed in their tithes and offerings. Folks have brought them by. Praise the Lord for each and every one of you. We have offering envelopes, and we'd like to thank you for your faithfulness. I'd like to thank you for a recently completed project with our love offerings for the Briones Rent. They are missionaries, national preacher, and family in the Philippines. And because of your faithfulness in one week's time, you have raised well over one year's rent for them. And I say amen. Can I hear an amen out there? Amen. Praise the Lord. And so that completes this particular project. But now using the same envelopes, they have red writing on them, and they say love offering at Central Baptist Church. Let me urge you to engage in the next project that we've begun. I know that we can do something. Listen, you can lock down, you can declare a pandemic, but you can't stop the work of the Holy Ghost and the work of the ministry according to the Word of God. And the next project that we're involved in now is for Mission Pastor Raymond Beckles in Newport, Arkansas. Now look that up later. You'll see Newport, Arkansas up, uh, up the way north of Memphis. But it is a place where uh, Brother Beckles and his family have ministered for a number of years. And recently, Brother Leon Lucas, who is also one of our missionaries, both of these men are the men that we would consider our Timothys, and he said that he has kind of taken the lead on a project of replacing the worn-out pews in the church at Lighthouse Baptist Church in Newport, Arkansas, where Brother Beckles pastors. They've got some beat-up pews. And listen, if you've got something to sit on, you ought to thank God for it, but they're beat up. Now, there's another church by the same name, Lighthouse Baptist Church in Akron, Ohio. And thank God they were getting rid of their used pews. They were newer, but they were used, and so they were getting rid of them. And uh, Brother Leon Lucas has uh, volunteered to raise the money to get those transported down to Newport, Arkansas. He, he ran the details, the numbers, and everything. And Brother Leon is a very detailed, very responsible individual. Thank God for him. And he discovered how much it would be. And he sent out a letter. We received it uh, first of the week. It said they were $1,050 short. Now, we are going to raise and give that $1,050, and every dollar, every penny over $1,050 will go into uh, mission church work excess money, will go into something good there. And I would not ask you to do something that I myself am not willing to do. I have already made out my envelope. I'm already prepared when the offering is received to give an offering and get this thing started to get it going. Will you help us in giving to the ministry there in Newport, Arkansas, Lighthouse Baptist Church, get those pews moved into place and uh, help with mission work. Thank you so much. Thank God for you. Praise the Lord for you. Now, tonight, we're going to take our Bibles and we are going to turn in our Bibles to the book of Galatians. We have just sung, When nothing else could help, love lifted me. When there was no possibility of anything else helping, God's wonderful miracle salvation in the person of our Savior Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace through faith. We're not saved by any works of our own doing. So sometimes when we sing this song, we sing, When no one else could help, 
Christ lifted me. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? It is through Him. Sometimes we sing it, John 3.16, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, when nothing, when no one else could help, Jesus Christ, salvation, God's love lifted me. And praise the Lord. Now, Paul is writing to the believers in Galatia. Galatia is what is now southern Turkey. And those people had received Christ, had trusted Him as Savior, but somebody else came along and said, no, 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 you can't just become a Christian. You've got to jump through these hoops. You've got to do this extra red tape. You've got to do this extra business of becoming a Jew before you can become a Christian. And that is false teaching. That is heresy. Then and now, adding anything to the simplicity of salvation which is in and through Jesus Christ is heresy. It is Galatianism. And we're bringing a message again tonight about that false teaching and exposing it for what it is. Heresy. Rank heresy. Now we're in Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to begin at verse number 19 and read just a few verses. Follow as I read. Wherefore then serveth the law? Question mark. It, that is the law, was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Question mark. God forbid. For if, big word, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture, that's the Bible, the word of God, the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Here's a precious, precious truth you can cling to, you can stand upon it, it will stand against all of the winds that blow these difficult times in which we find ourselves, all the challenges of your life, every single day that you face, you've got something you can stand on right here and praise God for it. Now let's pray and ask God to help us to understand and to apply this scripture. Father, we thank you for the truth of Galatians. Thank you for what Paul wrote as he was moved by the Holy Ghost. And while that was several thousand years ago, We've got something today that we're facing. We need your help, Lord. Please give us what we need from the Word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There is nothing deader or drier than dead, dry orthodoxy. There is nothing that is less re responsive and less exciting than religion without power. And here is exactly and precisely what Paul has put his finger on. He's feeling the pulse of this thing. And he's saying, if you're trying to go to heaven by way of the law, that thing is dead on arrival. That thing isn't going to save anybody. There's no life in it. There is no power in it. It is unable, it is incapable of doing anything. I can recall a number of years ago. In fact, the year was 1977. We had just left a ministry in Wisconsin to go to Pennsylvania. God gave us a great challenge there. We had sold a house 
and uh, had a little extra money to purchase a vehicle. And so I went down to one of the local uh, automotive places and uh, put in an order for a, uh, for a van that would be uh, commercial, uh, that would, it would start out as a commercial van, but it would be all dressed up. It would have carpet inside and it would have captain's chairs and it would have other things. Now, they had a certain design and they had uh, a, a far off place that, that would, that would after, uh, after market, they would, they would do these special things to, to, to make the van look special. And so they were working on it and we didn't order this. When it came, on the back of it was painted in fancy script, Braggin' Wagon, on the wheel cover. Thank you very much, sweetheart. All right. She's going to keep me straight on this thing. All right. Braggin' Wagon. Now, that's, that's not something you want to have on the back of your vehicle if you are an independent Baptist preacher. Because people are going to think that you're the one that was behind that. But no, the folks that were uh, fixing up the van decided to put that on the back. It was such a nice van. We used it in ministry, had it for a number of years. And it looked great on the outside. But for some reason, I couldn't get it to go very fast, very powerfully up the hills. And it turned out finally when we got relocated that um, I discovered that there, that there was some engine work that had to be done. And so we, we had to have uh, this conversion van worked on with a rebuilt engine put in it before it would actually have the power to go up the hills like it was supposed to do and uh, accomplish. It looked good, but it didn't have any power. Now, religion sometimes looks good, but it doesn't have any power. Religion can't save anybody. Rituals can't keep anybody. And, um, and religiosity won't satisfy anybody. Pretty soon that wears thin, and the people who are part of that because of familiarity, because of background, because of history, because their membership is there or whatever, they're not going to find satisfaction in dead religion. What we're talking about tonight is something that's alive, that starts out alive and it continues to be alive, and uh, it has potential to keep us satisfied as we yield to God. I'm talking about that which is based upon faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and not that which is based upon the law. There were some teachers who had come around the churches of Galatia. And they were teaching that uh, to do what God wants you to do and to be what God wants you to be, you've got to do, you've got to try the very hardest that you can try. You've got to do the best that you can to hang on, to hold on, to do as much good as you possibly can, to practice religion, keep the rituals, the ceremonies, and the rules that preceded the coming of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and, and go through the, all the rituals that need to be gone through. Uh, and, uh, and thereby, you're going to actually have a foundation. But that is no foundation at all. The law was never intended to be a foundation for our salvation. The law has its place. We're going to talk about that. But the Old Testament was preparatory, getting folks ready for Jesus Christ. The pictures that we have, the types and the symbols... All point ahead to Jesus Christ. Why would you want to go back to a type or a symbol? Like why would you want to go back to a lamb? Or why would you want to go back to a bull or a goat? Why would you want to go back to a red heifer? Why would you want to go back to the things that are types and symbols only that point ahead to the real thing? 
That's Jesus Christ. No, the law cannot possibly do that. Turn with me back to John's Gospel. John's Gospel, the first chapter. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now that's an important division there. Moses, great man of God, great servant of the Lord, humble man, meek man, the Bible teaches us. He followed uh, God's orders and led the people out of bondage in Egypt, led them across the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and even though he was flawed, and even though he struck the rock the second time when he was supposed to speak to the rock, and as a result was not permitted to physically go into the land. He could see it, but he couldn't go into the land. Moses is one of the great leaders of the Old Testament. God chose him to be a mediator, a go-between. When God spoke, he spoke to Moses, and Moses spoke uh, to the people, or he had Aaron speak to the people. That's the way it was. It was that way because of the order of things, because of how people had responded. People had been hesitant or disobedient or not totally and completely compliant with God's commands. And so they had a mediator. The mediator in this case was Moses. And so a great man. But whereas the law came by Moses, that's not salvation. The law came by Moses. Salvation came that is grace and truth came by who? Jesus Christ. Good verse to memorize. Turn back to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus here is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. And in chapter number 5 and verse 17, He says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus Christ Himself in His life, and what he accomplished is the fulfillment of the law. No human being can keep the law. The law was not given so that we could earn our way to heaven. The law was given for another purpose entirely. So we're saying when nothing else could help, love lifted me. When there were no works, when there was no religion that would save our soul, love lifted us. We were all sinking deep in sin. We were all under sin. Verse 22 of our scripture tonight in Galatians chapter 3 says, But the scripture hath concluded all under sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory uh, of the glory of God. Every single one of us has fallen short of God's entrance requirement into heaven. Uh, there is none righteous, no, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Again and again and again we see our unworthiness, our depravity, our lost condition. We are all under the condemnation of sin. The Bible says so. That's God's final word on the subject. There's nothing you or I can do to extricate ourselves from that lost condition. Something has to be done. There has to be a substitute. There has to be a sacrifice. That comes by way of Jesus Christ. And our response is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to receive Him as our Savior. Everything else, when they say to you, yes, that opened the door, but you've got to keep on keeping on, that is adding to Scripture. That's Galatianism. Or those who say, well, there's no possible way uh, that, uh, that just believing on Jesus is enough. That seems too simple. That seems too basic. It is so simple. 
Yes, it is so simple that sometimes people in their pride and in their desire for religious activity stumble over the simplicity of faith that is in Jesus Christ. That's it. Back in the first verse that we read tonight, verse number 19 of Galatians chapter 3, we see that the law was given for one purpose and one purpose alone. What is the purpose? What, wherefore, why then serveth the law? What is its purpose? It, the law, was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now there are several thoughts there. We're going to talk about each one of those. I'm not saved by doing the best I can, by practicing religion, by following some ritual. When a person truly believes in God's Son, God takes that person's belief and He counts that belief in His accounting system as righteousness, just as if we were righteous, just as if we had done what was necessary because it was done in our behalf by our substitute Jesus Christ, then we are declared righteous. We are justified by that. The law was given to reveal sin, to make us more aware of our sin. It says it was added because of transgressions. Now prior to the law, prior to the law, the specific transgressions were not written out. Now we have them specifically written out. Man was a sinner, man was lost, man was needy prior to the law. But now that we have the law, man can see more clearly what is a transgression, where the line is drawn, where they trespass, where they step over the line, or where they violate whatever it is that has been established as the code, as the law. They step over and they violate, and now they are a violator. Now they are a transgressor. So it was added because of transgressions. It was added to reveal our lostness. It was added to show us that we needed a Savior Till the seed should come. Now in the previous verses, we have seen that it's not seeds plural, but the seed. The seed, of course, is Jesus Christ. And we have in Abraham those promises to the seed, which we have in Christ. Jesus is the seed that should come to whom the promise was made. We have as early as Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, the promise that the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, would be our Redeemer. We understand that's the program of God from the very beginning, before the foundation of the world. That's the only way to God is through the seed, the seed of the woman. There had to be a sacrifice. That means there had to be a sinless representative or a sacrifice in a physical body. The only way that could happen would be if Jesus came the way He did by the virgin birth without a sin nature, normally in Scripture, normally in those times, it would be a reference to the seed of the man. That is, the man would be referred to. But in this case, it's the seed of the woman, which is very unusual because Jesus Christ did not have a physical father. He had no sin nature. Born of a virgin, He is the seed. He came, the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. We know that angels observed everything from the beginning. From the time that they came into existence, they saw everything that happened. They saw the 
fall of Lucifer. They saw the fall of man. They saw the coming of Christ. They were there to sing and to greet the birth of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Angels were aware of what was happening all the time. Jesus was ministering in the body. They saw the temptation and the victory that Jesus Christ had in the wilderness. They saw the times when there were attempts on his life and he walked out of the midst of them, undoubtedly protected, observed by angels. The angels were aware of everything that was going on with respect to the, the, the pre-incarnation and the incarnation, the coming of our Savior and his ministry, uh, his death, his burial, his resurrection. He, they were there at the tomb to announce that the tomb was empty. Why seek ye the living among the dead? They were there when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. There were two men in white apparel saying, Ye men of Galilee, why look ye into heaven? Why are you gazing up? This same Jesus shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. Yes, angels are fully aware. They are the witnesses of the mediator. The mediator in this case, there was no, listen to me, there was no mediator in the promise to Abraham, it was directly from God. God is the mediator. The mediator in the case of the law is none other than Moses. He's the go-between. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. And so we have this given to us. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, early righteousness should have been by the law as we have read already. This is one of the great truths that helps us in these New Testament and church age times to realize that God is not willing, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He has said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now how can that be except by what God has done? There is a connection all the way back when God promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. When he promised him that there would be many that would be blessed by him. The truth is that God was foreshadowing the missions program of this local church. The fact that we've gone out to the four corners of the world and tried to reach everybody that we possibly can and will continue to do so as long as we have breath and strength. That's what this is all about. The law could not do that. Moses and what he gave as the mediator between God and his chosen people in the Old Testament could not save souls, could not save the souls of lost mankind. But what Abraham was given was a promise directly from God and that promise was that many nations would come from him and many would be blessed because of him and that came through his seed, the seed, Jesus Christ, the one who uh, was uh, crucified and rose from the dead and is alive forevermore. The law was given through a mediator. Therefore, it is inferior to the promise which was given prior to that 430 years before to Abraham. The law has no life in it. There is no power in it. There's nothing that will save people or redeem people. It was but temporary in nature. It says in Romans 8.3, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son 
in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. There it is. It's very simple. That God has a program and that program is by grace through faith. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews says, Where of the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. That's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 15, 16, and 17. Israel will be blessed. Those of us who have come as spiritual children of Abraham by salvation through Jesus Christ will likewise be blessed. So the law does not save. It does not have power to save. Instead, it only uh, does the opposite. It reveals our sinfulness. It shows us our need of a Savior. So let's look very closely at the Scripture. It says in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 20, Romans chapter 3 and verse number 20, down through verse number 22, Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Mark it down. What do you get from the law? What do you get from Moses, who is the mediator between God and His people? What do you get? You get the knowledge. You get the clarification. You get the light uh, shining on and exposing the sinfulness of mankind. There it is. So, by the law shall no flesh be justified in His sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. There it is. The law only exposes our sinfulness and shows us our need of a Savior. There is no justification through the law. It is weak in the flesh. Justification comes because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. There's no mediator between Abraham and God. The promise was given directly, fulfilled in the seed that came, Jesus Christ. So the great purpose of the law is to drive men to seek the promise of Jesus Christ, which is righteousness by faith. Let me say that again. The great purpose of the law given to us through the mediator Moses is stated right here, to drive men to seek the promise of Jesus Christ that is righteousness by faith. I will never forget the special meetings that we had with Dr. Clyde Kendall in our previous ministry. I've described him for you uh, in times past. Dr. Kendall was a student of the Word of God. Very, very sharp, hard preacher. And when he preached, people would cringe. And they would, they would uh, come under conviction as he would preach very hard messages. Every message that he would begin, he would say, now let's turn in our Bibles. And he would have us turn to Exodus chapter 20. 
How many of you know what's in Exodus chapter 20? He would then take us through the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. And this is what he would say. In verse number 3, it says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And then he would take about a minute or two to explain the meaning of that scripture. Verse number 4, the second commandment, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. And he would talk about idolatry for a minute or two. He would make applications to our current situation. And then he would go on and he would say, Verse number 7, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Then you go to verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And uh, all the way through the Ten Commandments, taking a moment or two to describe each one of them. And when he got done, he said, The reason I have done this is you will not realize your need of salvation until I expose the sin of all mankind. And he said, James says it very clearly. That if you have violated or broken the law of God in any single point, you have broken the entire law, you're guilty of all. And he would, I mean, I was saved and I was sitting on the platform and I was feeling conviction. I was saved and on my way to heaven, but I was feeling conviction. And the reason is, that is in stark contrast to most of our preachers who just simply let all of us renegades off lightly. They say, hey... What, what you need to do, you need to be friends with God. You know, kind of like, let's be pals with God. Let's just, let's just kind of have a nice time. Let's have a good time. Let's have a fun time. And it's more like a, an invitation to a theme park than it is to, to Bible salvation. Now, I admit that we can't be all stern all the time. And I admit that the fact that we've been saved is a joyful thing. And there's got to be some joy in it. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Boy, would I, I would feel really restrained if I couldn't have a good time about this business of being saved. But until a man, a woman, a boy or girl comes to Jesus Christ, the old-fashioned way, drawn by the Holy Spirit, convicted of lostness, depravity, a need of a Savior, why, they're never going to get saved. There's only one way to get saved. That's the Bible way. We have a need, and only Jesus Christ can meet that need. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. The law was temporary to show us our need of Christ, but the law won't get you all the way to heaven. The law will just get you lost, and you know it for sure, and now you need a Savior. Who do you need? You need the only one who fulfills the law, Jesus Christ. He's the one. He's the way. There is no other way. There is no other one. It says in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The peace treaty has been signed, but only at a great expense. The cost of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He came from heaven's glory. He came, there was no other way. He came to this earth. And while away from His home in heaven, He experienced everything that you or I will ever experience in the way of temptation, disappointment, problems, burdens, heartache, pain, sorrow. Man of sorrows, acquainted with our griefs, Jesus Christ. That God-man, Jesus Christ, could take our place upon the cross. And we needed the God-man to do that. We needed a sinless Savior. We needed someone that could save us by grace 
through faith. We could never, ever earn our way there. We would never deserve salvation by our own efforts, by our own works. Thank God for Jesus Christ. Thank God that He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And let us remember the great cost that was paid. Jesus Christ poured out His life. Jesus Christ took our place. He who knew no sin became the sin offering for you and for me. So even as Abraham believed God, and he did, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, so we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's the only way to get to heaven. Now, we come down to verse number 22. Verse number 22. The Scripture hath concluded all under sin. The word concluded has the idea of being shut up, enclosed, or trapped. Like you would catch a fish in a fish net. The idea of being entrapped. And then he says, under sin. All under sin. That's like the top of the trap being closed. And so that's exactly what the Scripture tells us about the law. The law is like a dungeon. Now having been to jail as a guest and not as an inmate, I can tell you it's not a place that I would ever want to be as an inmate. It's a horrible place. You may have an idea that somehow <coughs> you'd get... Uh, sentenced to one of these country club prisons. And i got to tell you, I've never seen one of those, but I've seen the other kind. I've seen the bars. I've, I've heard them clank shut. I've, I've seen all that I want to see of the inside of a prison. Locked up in a prison is a terrible thing. Being locked up, being trapped is a terrible thing. And here we have a scripture that says, in effect, if you've got the law without faith in Jesus Christ and righteousness by His completed uh, sacrifice in our behalf, then you are in a prison. The law is a prison house with the top slammed shut. You are trapped in the dungeon and you're snared, imprisoned, and you'll never get out. The scripture says in Deuteronomy 27, verse 26, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. If you start down that path thinking you're going to earn your way to heaven by being a good church member, by being a good religionist, by, by following the law, i got to tell you right now, there is no salvation in it. There is nothing but a curse in it. The promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. The law ensnares us. There's no way out. We realize we've broken all the law. We're guilty and responsible for all of the infractions. Our only hope then in desperation is to turn to and to trust in the grace of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And then and only then is the promise made by God through Abraham and through the seed, Jesus Christ, effective in your life and mine. God wants you to receive the free gift. Right now, won't you do that? Right now, won't you determine to share that free gift 
with everybody around you, those that have not yet come to Christ, won't you show them that works, that religion, that church won't save you. They all have their place, but those things will not save you or keep you saved. Only Jesus Christ, only God's grace can do that. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's ask the Lord to help us tonight. Lord, I thank you that you've made it crystal clear, but there are a lot of folks out there who are confused. And I pray in Jesus' name that you might help them to come to you by grace through faith. While our heads bowed and our eyes are closed, would you call on the name of the Lord? If you've never done so, just pray something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. If you prayed that prayer and meant it, would you slip your hand up, anyone at all? 